This podcast is recorded on Wurundjeri land. Our Stripes acknowledges the traditional owners of the land and pay our respect to elders past, present and emerging. When she was an American girl Raised up in promises Hello and welcome to Our Stripes, a Richmond Football Club podcast celebrating the many and varied stripes of our community that make up our fabulous strip that is, of course, the mighty yellow and black. Tiffany Cherry joining you with my co-host Rana Hussain and we're celebrating International Women's Day. This is our very first podcast and what great way uh, to kick it off and being celebrating International Women's Day. And we've got one of the most fabulous women in uh, not just our club but in the AFL and in Australian sport and is none other than uh, our very own president in Peggy. O'Neill, great to have you with us, Peggy. Peggy, of course, being the first female president of an AFL club and still only at this point in time uh, the only one that's current. So great to have you join the show. Thank you. That's quite an introduction. (laughs) It's something to live up to there. (laughs) Well deserved. Uh, Peggy, I'm going to take you back to the beginning. <laughs> okay. Um, it's a very you... good place to start, as <laughs> yeah. she sure says. <laughs> she sure does. Um, tell us where you're from, because we know you're not, well, you are now, but previously not local. Yes. Um, well, I grew up in the United States, and I was born in West Virginia in the coal fields there, and then moved across the border, but still the same mountain, into Virginia. So I spent my life in small towns and. Uh, way up in the Appalachia Mountains. And so Melbourne is by far the largest place I've ever lived. And I never thought of myself as a city person, but now I find myself a city person and I quite like it. I've turned it into a village and that village is called Richmond. Can you take us back to young primary school Peggy? Were you sporty at all? I I was in that informal kind of way you have um, when you all the kids just play together all the time. And I always loved playing baseball, and, and, and there was never any idea that it was boys or girls because there were so few of us. It was such a tiny place that everybody got to play. And my father was always a great um, lover of sport and played. Um, he was a pitcher in the local baseball team until he was in his 40s. Wow. So um, so I always enjoyed it and always liked thinking that I could run faster than boys. And, and I really liked the bicycle races. And, and we had a game up in the mountains called War. And I always liked... <laughs> what was that? <laughs> well, they're, they're little caves and nooks and crannies and rocks. And you'd jump out. And, you know, we didn't have paintball or anything. You'd just jump out and scare people to death. <laughs> but but you'd declare that you'd taken over the territory and they'd be prisoners of war. And they're, they're, sounds terrible now. <laughs> I love it. It sounds <laughs> awesome. I agree. <laughs> so I was the terror of the mountains, maybe. <laughs> but, uh, but no, I always enjoyed that outdoor physical activity. And it was a time when uh, it seemed that children did that a lot more than you do now. But small town is different than big city. And and uh, back then it was, you know, you go out the door after breakfast and you don't come back until dinner time. You, you have a claim to fl- fame growing up in your high school. You were the first female quarterback. Can you take us through that journey <laughs> and how it came about? <laughs> you, you make it sound like it was, uh, <laughs> it was important. Uh, it was in the sense of um, loving sport the way that I did. And I, was a, uh, I watched everything. When, girls were mostly the spectators and the boys played. Um, but I loved you know, gridiron and I loved basketball and I loved baseball. Um, but there were no sport 
teams for girls, really, and I don't know there had been enough of us to make up one. But anyway, for, um, it, for my last year of high school, there were fundraisers for our trips that we would take to the nation's capital or state capital or wherever we wanted to do. And so we put together um, girls' teams, and we played, and, and I was the quarterback. I was, I was <laughs> looking back on it, I was determined to be the quarterback uh, because I thought I'd been watching football all my life for this opportunity. So we played a couple of games to raise money, and, and it was a lot of fun. And then when I went away to university, there was a touch football league, and so I did that for a couple of years. And and I was the quarterback there too. <laughs> did you have the Tom Brady arm? My arm used to be better than it is yeah. now. Yeah, well, <laughs> but I still have I still have a, a football in in um, on the shelf at home just in case I want to go out and throw it again. <laughs> so then that brings us to you left your everything that you knew back in America, your home, uh, to come move to Australia. Why? And then and why Richmond? Well, I um, met an Australian backpacker in a bar in Greece, and typical you know, story. The, the way that those <laughs> things end up, and um, so we were married, and I moved to uh, Australia. And as it turns out, he had bought a house in Richmond before we were married, and so it was renovated. And so I've now been in Richmond since 1991. It looks a little bit different now. Can I ask you what life is like at Richmond? And I mean the suburb, really, because I can imagine you get recognised quite a bit. Is that correct? There are a lot of Richmond supporters in Richmond. And <laughs> uh, and I think also because I've lived here for so long that you know the cafe owners and the shopkeepers. And uh, But there are, with the increased um, housing density and all the apartments going up, there are new people coming in who I don't necessarily know. But... If you're walking around Coles just trying to buy some oranges or apples or something, it's it's not unusual to get stopped and hugged and people. Uh, one woman was was stocking the shelves one day and she turned and hugged me and started crying about how much the the win had meant and how much the team means to her and all that sort of thing. So, it it's it reminds you how very real um, the club is and what it means to a lot of people. It's a real symbol of community. Mm. I wanted to ask you then, you natural affiliation living in Richmond, so you choose Richmond as your team. That's right. Social integration, becoming part of the community. How then did you become involved in the club and, and, then, and then the rise to president? Well, I, I, I went to a, a couple of games uh, because everybody talked about this game and um, I thought, well, the MCG is, you know, 15-minute walk away, and and um, a friend of mine at work said, oh, if you like Richmond, you ought to go to the football with my wife, and I did. What was your first thought of the game? Yeah. I thought it was fun to watch. It was so athletic. I still remember the Southern Stand had been open just a little while. It was April. It was sunny. We were playing Melbourne. We lost. Um, but it didn't have the size of crowds that it has now at all. Um, so I thought, oh, I think I like this game. I think I want to go to more games. And I'm a, I'm a lawyer by training, and with the law, I didn't have a lot of free time for things. But somehow, I started making time to go to football because it was a great release from work, mm. and it was fun to be with a big crowd. And then over time, crowds have built and built, not just with Richmond, but across the entire competition. So um, uh, how did I get involved with Richmond? Well, I over time, I just turned into one of those crazy Richmond supporters <laughs> in the sense that I just wanted to do more and volunteer around the club. And the late Neville Crow asked me to get involved in helping set up the Tommy Hafey Club. 
as a coterie group, and I met a few people there. And then out of the blue, in 2005, I got a call about um, whether I'd be interested in going on the board. And um, I thought, well, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> and I thought about it a bit, and I had to talk to my law firm about whether I could take the time away. And so in November 2005, I joined the board. And then you made your way to president of the board. <laughs> I did. <laughs> I did eight years later. Um, and uh, I, I was enjoying what I was doing. I was always interested in the, in the business of football, which is why joining the board was of interest to me. And I thought I might have something to offer. And um, so in 2013, when uh, the previous president, Gary March, announced he wasn't going to uh, continue, um, the board elected me to replace him. Much has been said about you being the first ever. What does that actually mean to you? What does being the first mean? Well, um, I think when, when, it, when you're the one who's in the doing of things, you don't really reflect. You just go on. And, and, I, and I did have probably a reflection about, you know, this is a door that's opened you ought to walk through, um, that all this encouragement to people other women about come on go for it go for it and then you think well this is a opportunity for something I really enjoy doing anyway why not and I thought the worst that can happen is I'm no good and I go back to watching football so does it mean something to me I guess you're not as conscious of it but I remember one of the early uh, little you know talks that I gave to a group of women and a couple of young women came up and said I hadn't said it in those kind of words, but it was sort of ho-hum, matter of fact. And um, and she said, you know, it may not mean much to you, but it means a lot to us. And I thought people find meaning, and I find meaning in what other people do. And you can't sort of tell them how they should feel or, or what importance they place on it. And then I thought, you're happy with what you're doing, and you feel real honor and privilege to be in this position. So tell people how good it is and encourage people to do it. And seeing you enjoy yourself will encourage more people to do it. So I think that we all find meaning and inspiration in all kinds of ways. And so if me being president of a football club helps somebody else to find that inspiration to do something they wouldn't otherwise have done, happy to do it. We're celebrating International Women's Day today. So we talk about role models and breaking down those stereotypes and, and lifting women up, um, especially on a day like today. So what were some of the difficult difficulties that you had to overcome? I know you, you're in some ways reticent to, to talk about the negative component of it, but, but some that you can share that uh, perhaps were a lesson or a bit of funny banter that, you know, being that first woman. Um, well, I think any time you're a first that you you're automatically termed to be a leader, and, and sometimes you don't think of yourself that way. Um, I know, well, perhaps it wasn't even football, but just being an outsider and coming to Melbourne, um, if you don't really know anyone and you haven't gone to school and um, you sort of think, do I fit or or will I ever fit? And, and, and having had my legal education in the U.S., and coming here, I thought, oh, I've just lost all my confidence. I just don't know if I'm doing the right thing or where this will lead or what it's going to lead to. So I think that having to um, just sort of back yourself a bit, that was a lesson that I didn't think I'd have to do again, but you do. Um, about becoming president of, of Richmond along the way is I thought there's a good group of people there, and I'd been involved long enough to – I was on the subcommittee that hired Brendan uh, and – 
was and did a final interview with Damien Hardwick before he was hired. So they both came in August 2009. It was a really important month for the club. Mm. Um, that I, I thought there's some good people there, and I think that um, uh, that Richmond's ready for me. Maybe the larger world isn't, but I felt quite secure and confident uh, in the people who were here. Um, but I do remember, I think it was 2014, we had gotten off to a very, very slow start, and we were talking about funny things that happened. And I was um, attended a dinner. There were lots of previous, you know, players, retired players. And this one guy said had come to Brendan and said he'd like to meet me. <laughs> and he said, oh, um, you know, we're really playing crap football but I haven't heard anybody say it's your fault. <laughs> and I thought, I think that's a compliment yeah. in there somewhere. Backhanded. And I thought, well, thank you, I think. Uh, but uh, it's, there are things like that, that people are trying to say the right thing. And um, and I thought, well, there's a, sort of a lesson there that he's, He's, he's sort of behind you. So There's many other uh, components of your story that we want to um, come mm-hmm. back to, but I want to bring you, Rana, into this conversation, mm-hmm. not only obviously as the co-host of the show, but you've got your own unique story, as we all have, but your journey as, um, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, the first practising Muslim woman to work full-time in the AFL. So tell us about your journey into the game and I suppose the difficulties that you've had to encounter as well. Yeah, look, and I, I think I'm the first. I th- there's certainly not been anyone else kind of put out there as the first, so I'm kind of similar <laughs> to you, Peggy, just stepped into it. Uh, but I, before I worked in the industry, I was a school counsellor, but just a lover of football. Uh, and I first went, I went to my first football game as a teenager with a friend's family and just fell in love with the game. Um, but as I grew older, just could sort of see that uh, there were things I wanted to see change um, as a woman and as a woman of colour. Uh, and so I started to get really despondent and be, found myself really complaining to people and getting frustrated about this game that I love and I couldn't fully get on board with. And so eventually it got to the point where I decided, look, I can't keep complaining unless I put my hand up to be um, the change, you know, that saying you want to be the change uh, be the change you want to see in the world. And so I couldn't sort of um, keep complaining. Uh, and, yeah, so I quit my job, <laughs> took a huge risk, quit my job and just put my hand up to the few networks that I did have within the industry and said, look, I'll do anything, but this is what I care about and do you know anyone who's hiring? And luckily that person uh, said, yeah, look, Richmond are looking for someone. <laughs> And so has your job changed in the time you're at Richmond? How did it start and, and what's your role now? Yeah, it's changed a lot actually. I started as a fan development coordinator um, and that was sort of looking after helping out with game days and um, open trainings but really looking to engage diverse communities. Since then I've become the diversity and inclusion coordinator which really actually now looks at who are the communities that are traditionally left out of football and looking to bring them in and make sure that they feel like they belong at Richmond. What about also um, the involvement of the, the diversity action plan? So we've now created that and we're, we haven't launched it yet, but uh, just your passion for that. Yeah, absolutely. Look, we can say that we want to do a lot of things, but unless you put it on paper and put some targets around it, um, it's never going to happen. So this year we're going to launch and we're currently working on a diversity and inclusion action plan, which looks across the board, across across the club, both 
inward and outward um, around what we can do for different communities to make sure we're an inclusive club. So that can be from game day to the programs that we um, present uh, to, you know, how we uh, find new talent internally. So it's really exciting and it's a commitment. Um, It's really basically us saying we're committed to this. And I've just wanted to explore a bit more. You, you're going to a global stage, and you also have a state <laughs> stage, too. So you're one of the Joan Kerner Leadership Award winners. Yes. And then the UN. So <laughs> tell us about those two um, scholarships. So- Yes, thanks to um, a lovely woman named Peggy (laughs) (laughs) O'Neill. Myself and Talia Biggs from the KGI got put forward for the Joan Kerner Leadership Program. I might say all I did was say it was available. (laughs) You did the hard work. We we were, yeah, lucky enough to apply for that and be selected. So it's a year-long leadership program for young women um, from various industries and it's we basically get to shape a leadership journey for ourselves and really um, upskill and explore our own leadership capacities, which is such a privilege. Um, And then, yes, I uh, was able to, well, I've been selected to go to America um, through the US Consulate's leadership program. um, And I'll be looking at diversity and inclusion through sport and what they're doing in America, which is pretty cool. Wow. And Tiff, just to bring you into this. And talk, <laughs> well, I can sit and listen to the two of you all day. We've had to talk a bit about ourselves, so <laughs> we know about you, but you've had a really quite a long history with Richmond. It's not a just a current role, so start with your Richmond journey. It started back in 1995, and probably a lot of our listeners weren't even alive then. So back in 1995, I was a, a young, fresh uh, physio qualified physio and uh, and I started I was working in Olympic Park Sports Medicine Centre and uh, one of the doctors and physios there came bounding in one day saying Richmond's looking for um, uh, for a new a new physio to work with their um, VFL team or their their seconds team at the time and to sort of integrate into the program and we and we've put your name forward and uh, will you do it and I said sure and I'd never I'd grown up in a um, a single parent household, or my mum had told me that I could be whatever I wanted to be. So I and I went to a, 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 um, a formerly boys' school that became co-ed. So I was sort of exposed to many opportunities that the boys had. Um, although I didn't play football because there was no football, so I used to sit on the sidelines wishing that I could. And um, anyway, so I so I went for the job, and then I got told that to get the job, I had to. Um, I had to prove that I was strong enough, so I had to go and massage the coach. What, uh, do, you mean? what do you mean? Yeah, on my own, just him and I in the uh, in the in the in the rooms. Um, the coach was John Northey at the time, and so I went as I remember the, the doctor saying to me, "Just go. We know how hard what you can do." And I said, "Don't worry." <laughs> so I went really, really hard to his credit. He didn't squeal. He didn't make a noise, but he's, he wriggled a fair bit. But he got off the cow, uh, off the um, the massage table, nodded his head. I went back to Olympic Park, which is just across the road, and they were jumping up and down saying, "You got the job." Um, so yeah, so I was with Richmond for three years as a physio until I actually um, I'd always had a passion for well, for a while for media. There weren't any female role models, as you said, um, to be what you can see. 
And one day I saw a woman called Kate Payton delivering the sports news on um, on Sports World, which was my favourite show um, at the time. And I had this epiphany that I say that I wanted to be a sports presenter and it was sort of everything that was sport. It was um, telling people's stories, journalism and the media components, so having a voice. And, um, and I had to make a decision um, at that time to, because I... There were stories being leaked from within Richmond, and uh, and the coach then, who was Jeff Geish, and who went on to become the head of umpiring, said to me, "You've got to make a choice," which was actually the best best advice I could have been given. So I chose to follow my passion then, which was to become a sports journalist presenter, and I did that for, um, for well, and you know, to a degree, doing a small component of it for 17 years. And the dream was to host the Olympic Games, which I did in um, 2010 for the Vancouver. Um, Winter Olympics and then the London 2012 Summer Olympics and then um, had a child and uh, who is a girl uh, and she's now four and, and I'm very passionate, I've always been about gender equality and really wanted to start making an impact on um, the, the direction of women's sport in this country so decided to come and work back in Clubland and now my role is um, as a multimedia executive. So I work across all the medium of all the media. I'm working on big projects and one of them, the big one that we're working on at the moment is with Vic Health, which is the This Girl Can program, which is all about empowering women across the state um, to get active no matter what they look like, no matter how they do it, just to get out. And uh, one of the great slogans is um, a woman who you know, who looks how she looks and she says, I might be slow, but I'm lapping everyone on the couch. Mm. And that's the message. And so we've got coming up, so International Women's Day today, but coming up we've got the This Girl Can uh, Week, which is March 18 to 25, which also falls on the week of round one um, of Richmond's uh, obviously game against Carlton. But we're going to have a number of activations across our other business arms, which is Align Leisure, we've got four centres in Mildura, Aubrey, Wodonga, um, Nilambic, which is Eltham and Cardinia. So we're going to uh, offer some free classes um, for women 18 and over to come and get involved and get active and see what's out there. So if you're interested and you're listening, um, just get in touch with your Align Leisure Centre. And we're also going to run an internal yoga class here the day before <laughs> our round wait. one so we can all zen. And uh, and I expect to see both of you there in your, in your Lycra kit. Chief, I want to I want to ask you. Um, this is something we have in common, and we talked about challenges and barriers when it um, in terms of Peggy's journey. We both have a um, four year old daughter, mm-hmm. um, not together. <laughs> we have two, <laughs> yes, <Yeah>, separately, <laughs> yes. Uh, and I just wanted to talk about being a working mum. It's International Women's Day, and I, you know, it would be remiss of me not mm. to bring it up. Uh, but I wanted to hear from you um, some of the challenges around that. Yeah, it's very uh, difficult. And I think also being a woman in the media, um, which was my full-time profession, and I decided to step away because I felt my life was not balanced and I wanted to have a family and my work, because when I put myself into something, I'm very passionate about it. So it was very consuming. Um, And being a woman in a man's world, I had to prove, I felt like I had to prove, um, you know, my worth. So everything I did, I triple-checked triple checks it was very very it was a seven day a week job for many years so I stepped away and then you know the opportunities in the media um, dry out for women over 40 and with a kid and um, and so that was difficult in itself and then re so finding my challenge uh, finding my passion and redirecting that into um, an avenue that I really felt that I was contributing and 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 
um, and doing something and making a difference. And and Richmond has been fantastic. And I did an MBA not long after I had my daughter, and uh, I thought <laughs> I thought I had time on my hands. I mean, I was I was obviously a first time mum and had no idea. Um, but I did it full time, and that was on innovation, uh, leadership, and innovation. And and I studied the top 100 companies around the world and they're and the most successful companies commercially obviously that's really essentially what a company um, you know sets out is to make money is they had the, this incredible diversity policy and um, flexibility and flexible hours and Richmond has been incredible um, and this is not a platform I didn't even know you were going to ask me the question but they've been incredible in allowing that and so I've always been a person who will get the job done and I and I you know I really um, and I'm an advocate for that. It's like when you do it, you do it. But it's um, it's it's and it's all about again diversity and and mm. allowing people the flexibility to be who they are, so you get the best out of them. Mm. I completely agree with that. I also want to ask you. So you used to be a boundary writer, which to me is like the dream job. <laughs> <laughs> when when I first got the job, one of my girlfriends said she looked at me perplexed. She paused. In fact, she was uh, she is married to our former GM of football, who's since moved on. And she said, "Where do you put your horse?" (laughs) I said, "Yes," and she'll know who she is if she's listening. (laughs) It's a fine. I I tell it publicly. She still laughs. But I was like, "No, silly. I'm not. I'm I'm like commentating on the game." And um, yeah, it was a it was a pretty. I got asked a lot of questions about how do you feel being a female in a man's, you know, change rooms. And I was like, well, I don't know what it's like to be a man in the man's change rooms. I'm just in the change rooms. And you don't ask a man who's delivering a baby what it's like to be delivering a baby. He's just doing his job, right? So, mm. yeah, it was, I just I always found people think the change rooms means you're in the showers. I know. And yeah. it's like, well, I'm there with mothers and, and wives and we're all just standing around. It's not, people are pretty modest, yeah. actually. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. exactly, exactly. Mm. But what I wanted to ask you, Tiff, was, from then to now, has footy media changed much? Oh, most definitely. I remember quite significant milestones of going to a press conference at, and it was at St Kilda and um, and the coach at the time remarked that he'd never seen three female or two female journalists and there was a female camera, camera person and a female on doing radio and I'd never seen it and then I remember a few years ago it was actually at Maddie's match um, being boundary writing and there'd never been all three um, commentators boundary writers doing the game from the three different radio networks female and we remarked we took a photograph so it's most definitely changed Um, I mean there was basically hardly anyone doing it when I started and yeah as the first female boundary writer um, but it's, you know, now it's come to the point where it's, and I'm sure you hope that it'll be the same eventually as presidents in the club mm. or CEOs or whoever, you know, we've got these quota for boards. It, it just becomes, you are a president and you are a whatever, rather than being just being the female component of that. Yeah. Trying to normalize mm. it in these, what traditionally male dominated industries. Uh, it's starting to break down, especially in the media, and I think that's a good thing. But the momentum has to be kept up. But after a while, you don't notice it. And that's what I think everybody wants to achieve, and that sort of success, isn't mm. it? So, mm. Well, for the two of you, what are, what are your plans for this podcast? Well, what are you going to make of it this year? I think for me, uh, this podcast is really about looking into the 
the little stories behind Richmond, so you, you know, in and around this place, there are so many interesting stories that make up uh, a footy club. And a lot of people don't know that, you know, we're, we're a big brand and, you know, people know the big Friday night, Saturday night clashes, but they don't know the stories behind, you know, what makes up this club. And I think that's really what I'm interested in. Yeah, definitely. And I think the name, Our Stripes, it's all about the many and varied stripes community backgrounds i mean yours is american you know yours is indian muslim mines um if you go back a few generations is you know english irish scottish and french and what all that means and 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 it's not necessarily where you're from it's just about who you are and um and and it's and the podcast isn't necessarily about the players or um staff who work here it's also about you know people who might be the the chef who comes in as a contractor or um you know our oldest living uh, fan or whoever whoever it might be but it's really about delving into those wonderful stories that make up the brilliant fabric of our club Mm. and as we identify more and more richmond supporters and members You'll have your work cut out for you, won't you? Yeah. <laughs> and there's no lack there's of content. A, there's that's at sure. least 100,000 stories out there. <laughs> what about for you from a, from a female perspective in terms of, I suppose, um, what it means to you to have our VFLW team running around now and, of course, as of next year, our AFLW team, we've got our licence, what that has done, what you've seen, what you've heard, what you've experienced, what it's done to our club? Well, you, you know we wanted one of the original licenses for the AFLW and um, weren't awarded one in that initial round. We've applied every time that licenses have come up and finally in 2020 we'll get one. But along the way we thought, well, let's start and get women uh, participating in, in the game. And so we have our VFLW side. And I think in a big picture way what it does is start to normalize just having women around the place in numbers. And, uh, and I think that Richmond embraces that. And it also s- stretches the space that we have because we're still in the same space where we had one team and now we have four and, and five, counting our, our uh, wheelchair team that doesn't operate out of here, but is a big part of what we do. Mm. So we need more space to accommodate it, but I think no one thinks it's something that we shouldn't do because you see what, what the value is. And having good people around the place is wonderful and having more women around the place is wonderful. And I think it, um, it, it gives you more stories to learn. Has it changed the men around you? Have you seen a change come over them? Well, I'm at sort of the board level, so I'm not here working every day. But um, but the stories that people have told me who do work here every day, the men, is uh, they quite appreciate it. They quite see that it's it's different, and they want. I think there might have been a little bit of what's it going to be like when we have uh, women playing the game, not just on the administration side. Um, but uh, it's been it's been widely embraced as a good thing, and people are eager to help. And uh, you know, Kate Sheehan is sort of operations manager for women's football, and and can I help Kate? And what can I do? And and uh, you know, on the administration side of that, where are the sponsors going to come from? We got to get the women's team up there. And I think we've been quite mindful too to want our our facilities to be of really high quality for the women, and not as an afterthought. So in a way, not getting our AFLW team for a while and having our VFLW team 
only a year old at this point, has enabled us to mm. learn a bit from what other teams did well and what they didn't do so well and hopefully come up with a really good program that people are proud of. And I went to the VFLW Best and Ferris last year, and boy, was that a high-spirited good time. <laughs> and people were just so happy to, um, to have met each other, that the club uh, acknowledged them, and that the first year was over and they were ready to go. So uh, I think it's been just great all around. Now, you've asked, been asked by the board to stay on for a few more years as president. Another term, yes. Another term. <laughs> uh, and so you will see the uh, AFLW I will. team come to fruition. What are you most looking forward to? I'd like to see them win a premiership cup. <laughs> yes. Um, well, I haven't been asked many times what team am I supporting before hours, and I said I'm not supporting any team. If they don't have yellow and black on, my heart isn't in it. I can't see me just because I support women's football, and I, and I, that's genuine, is I'm not going to go out and, and barrack for Collingwood or Carlton. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> just think that about hurts. that. Just yeah. think about it. I'll, I might go and watch a little bit, but my heart isn't in it in the same way that the yellow and black out there so uh, so I'm really looking forward to having a team that we can all get behind and the strength and numbers that the Tiger Army will bring. Can I ask you a somewhat cheeky question about the men's team Mm -hmm. taking you back to last year's prelim now if we can just for a minute remember um, what that night was like and there was a massive USA chant that was just (laughs) rolling through the MCG for somebody, a player of the opposition, I won't, <laughs> I won't use his name, um, but what was that like for you? Did that have any any bearing oh, for you? Oh, um, it, it, it was kind of struck me as a bit odd um, in the sense that for a while I thought being an outsider, I couldn't imagine anybody chanting USA for me because you were supposed to be inside and that sort of made you outside. Uh, I don't know if Donald Trump has sort of ramped this all up or anything, but um, but the player of the opposite side, I, I know him. The the, the Yanks hang well, together there. So I he did is. say to him, I thought it was for me, Mason. And then I found out <laughs> <laughs> it was you. Don't let that happen again. Yeah. No, <laughs> so uh, it, it, I thought that it was... Um, it was fun, and uh, and he had played a wonderful game, so I couldn't take that away from him. Do you still celebrate? Do you celebrate Independence Day? Do you prefer a hot dog over a meat pie? Is it still a component of your U.S. heritage upbringing that you still hold dear to you? Uh, well, I think all the holidays that uh, are unique to your country, you continue to to think about. I think the times passed about celebrating the 4th of July or Thanksgiving, I, I sort of do, but the dates are never right here. They aren't holidays yeah. here, so, and Thanksgiving's always on a Thursday. And so I think it's an all day to cook a turkey and <laughs> do all those sorts of things. So I try to maybe do something in the closest weekend. Uh, but over time, I think you become much more involved in where you are than where you left. And it doesn't mean I, I call family over there. And uh, But I must say I prefer Christmas here. I just don't want to go through another cold, winter, snowy time in North America. And where I'm from, there's a lot of snow. Kangaroos so, pulling the sled rather than the that's Vivian, right. that's what that's she's, right. she believes. So, so I have a wonderful hybrid. I, I celebrate holidays mm. from both my countries. I wanted to ask both of you a question that we're ask, We're going to ask all of our, um, of our guests. If there's a... Uh, and it, there has to be a, a photo that you have um, that you have that's dear to you, that's with you, that that represents a lot of who you are. Uh, can you can you describe what that photo is and share it with us? 
and why you're thinking because I know Rana knows this question so like oh. or I could share one with you you, you start Tiff I want to hear what yours because I was thinking whoa what's a photo for me and there was one um, taken only a couple of years ago and I um, uh, my my auntie had passed away and she was like my second mum and I was went back to Bright which is where I'm from country girl and um, and the cherry name well the cherry family is very big there so we've got a, a walk named after us in a bridge and it's sort of quite a proud thing to you know we love walking down there and uh, and I was with um, my other auntie who is her older sister um, and my cousin a couple of my cousins younger one older one and my brother was the only guy who had joined us so there was the six of us and our auntie who's 82 but still very you know she's sort of walks she's uh, very active and she's probably older than that now um, so we walked up to where her grandparents so my great our great grandparents used to live and it was up on the hill behind bright um, we took the cherry walk and, and she told us why it was named the cherry walk because our um, uh, great-grandmother had 10 kids or 11 kids and uh, I think five or six of them died um, uh, through diphtheria and, and she would walk them and it was quite a it was about a 2k walk she would walk them all the way down through the bush um, as each child was sick and take them into town uh, to the doctor and and often she would walk back with um, a baby that had passed and and um, so while that's sort of a, a bit you know there's a sad component to it, it showed the strength and resilience of the of the woman and in in our family and and our family is quite the women are quite strong and um, and another little funny component of it too, Ned Kelly, which is a, a famous, obviously, legend in Australia, um, and he represents, I suppose, the underdog and, you know, the, the cheekiness of... And he and his gang used to ride up along the saddle and apparently, so legend has it, um, at nightfall um, under the, the cover of uh, darkness under COVID operation, my um, grandparents used to feed them. And so I thought that was really cool. So, yeah, so, um, you know, so that's, that's my photo. Uh, I think my, for me, my photo would be, like, there's a number, there's a series of them because every year when I was growing up, um, we would celebrate Eid, which is... Um, it's kind of like the Muslim Christmas, really, um, particularly after Ramadan, the month of Ramadan. So we would all get up early for the morning prayers and put on our finest. And for us, that was our finest Indian cultural dress. Um, and my dad would make sure we'd take a family photo every time, every year. So probably any number of those. Otherwise, it would be, you know, a photo of my family in front of... Um, the opera house and it's just you know my mum in her scarf my dad with his beard and all of us and it's just that kind of symbolism of us coming from somewhere else but now calling Australia home god that's corny but no <laughs> but it's beautiful though it's, that's it there's the power of, of a store of a picture what about yours Peggy yeah um I hadn't visited or revisited this picture in a long time, and then when we were in finals in 2017, it was the first time that the media had started to ask who I was. And before that, it was just President Richmond, and you know, there also Rands and that sort of thing. And I remember uh, being asked if there were any pictures of me growing up. And I thought, well, why? Well, we'd like to, the Australian, I think, wanted to run some pictures. And I found this picture that I hadn't looked at in a long time, and it just sort of encapsulated what I remember about myself from, well, forever. And um, it's in those coal fields, the coal towns, and it was a town of maybe 
30 people. And the miners' houses are owned by the coal company. And we lived in one of those. And there's a picture of me, and it's Easter, so it's spring over there, and things are just coming in. And um, and I have my – we really used to get dressed up for Easter, in, even in a town that size. And But my mother loved dressing her daughters. And so there's a picture of me on um, in front of this house that's on a slope at about a 45-degree angle. And we always used to joke that, you know, in West Virginia, everybody has one leg longer than the other because you're always standing on a slope along the way. <laughs> and so there I am with an Easter bonnet, and I'm about five years old, and I, have this, and I have this whole fluffy dress on. And, this, and you look in the background, and you think, wow, what a hard place to come from. And, uh, but I look at it, and I thought, I, would, I had a great time. I have wonderful memories of it. You don't know what you're missing, mm. and I don't think I missed anything. But it shows the um, the coal trains coming through the background, me in this this beyond beautiful Easter dress. And uh, so I always sort of – I really look at that picture a lot, and it's been reprinted in a couple of other things without asking me. But uh, But I thought that says a whole lot about me. And then the book ended. There's a picture of me and Dustin Martin with a cup in the middle of the MCG, <laughs> and I sort of like that one too. So from where you were to where, you, <laughs> yes, where you've that's come. that's right. That's lovely. I think just all that's left to say is thank you so much, Peggy, for coming and speaking to us today. Well, thank you. I've learned oh. a lot about the two of you too. But absolutely. <laughs> I'm thrilled to have you um, and have you as our very first guest of, of our stripes. It's a, yeah, we're hoping that this will be um, a podcast that many people will tune into and, and get to know us and, and all of us who make up Richmond. Yeah. Well, best of luck to you. Thank you. Thank you. And we'll, uh, we'll be back again for another edition of uh, Our Stripes very soon. <laughs>